Father, we thank you this morning so much for this beautiful day that you've given to us. Each day we have is a gift from you. And we thank you especially today, Father, for the privilege that we have of being able to come together here today and to worship you together and to share the word of God together. We thank you that we have the ability and capability to come together online, Father, and for those that are tuning in online this morning, we ask you to help them to feel part of this service here this morning. And now as we turn to the word, Father, what you want to do in our hearts and lives is not something I can do by any gifting that I have, any talent I have, or any words that I have, but only by the anointing of your Spirit. So as best I know how, Father, I'm taking your word as I believe you've led me to study it. And I bring it forth trusting, Father, that your precious Holy Spirit will take this word and will touch our hearts and open the eyes of our understanding that we would truly see the hope of your calling for us together. Together, that's in Christ Jesus. And for that, I just yield myself to you. We ask you to open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to grasp what the Holy Spirit wants to say to all of us together today. And for that, we trust you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians, uh, to John chapter 17, as soon as I find my notes here. We started a message last week, and, I, and, and it's based around uh, a prayer that Jesus brought to his Father, and it's the very last prayer that Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. And we talked about the fact that if this is the very last thing he's talked to his Father about, it may be the most, must be the most important thing on his heart that he's talking to his Father about. He begins the prayer talking to his Father about himself, about coming back and being restored to the glory that he had before he came to the earth. He then talks about his disciples because they're going to take this over now. And then he prays for us, beginning in John chapter 20, uh, verse 20, excuse me, John 17, verse 20. And he says this, I pray not for these alone, but for all those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. And here's the prayer. Above everything else Jesus is praying for is that we may be one. He's not praying for the anointing. He's not praying for wisdom. All of those things he's prayed for, he's not praying for vision. His greatest heart's desire that he talks to the Father about is that his church, his body may be one. And why? that they may be one, as Father, you are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus understands something that the church doesn't understand. The only way the world's going to believe who he is is through us and us being one. When the church sees us divide, world sees us divided, it doesn't see who he is. So everything that we're called to do as a church, our mission is vitally determined by how well we're able to come together as one. It is the most critical thing. Verse 22, and that the glory you've given me, I've given them that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 23, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect, complete in one, that the world may know you sent me. And the second thing is, and that you've loved them as you've loved me. We know that we're here to show the love of Christ. But Jesus is saying, that cannot happen unless my body is one. And this is what we began to talk about last time. 
And then we looked over at a great example of this disunity. Because understand this, if Jesus understands, he doesn't understand anything, he just knows it. If Jesus knows that we cannot get this job done unless we are functionally, in reality, from our heart, one, then Satan understands that also. So he knows all he has to do, all he has to do is divide us. That's all. If he divides us, we'll tear it up ourselves. And we used an example last week because we went through some scriptures where Paul talks about in, in chapter 11, he talks about the communion service. And he uses that as an example of, of what the division in the church in Corinth was like because it was a very spiritual church in the sense of if you walked into their, into their uh, church service, they had it going on. I mean, it was charismatic, it was Pentecostal. That's, that's where the terms come from. It was just the spirit, the, they were outward signs of God's presence and wonderful things going on. But that's not what God saw. God saw in their hearts they were very much divided. So we can look out over this congregation and see different colors, different ages, different economic backgrounds and think, isn't this wonderful what God's done? Yes, it is. But this is still a church divided because there are issues underneath that divide us. And if it's not just issues, it's that we're really not caring for one another at the level that God's talking about. So I used an example last week because there's two words that, that Paul uses. One is, one is divisions and, and, the, and the other is factions. And the word divisions means to tear something. So I got a piece of our old sheet up here and with the scissors, I had needed it on one side and I, and I put a, cut, a little tear a tear is when we begin to hold something in our hearts against somebody. We don't do anything. We just, I, you know, you're different than I am. I don't like who you voted for. And so that now becomes a division in our hearts. See, it's not that we're divided. It's not that we don't agree in everything in our mind because we never will. But it's when that disagreement in mind now gets into my heart, it's no longer that Gary and I don't have the same ideas about things. And that's, we, we probably do have the same ideas. But now when his view, I let that difference get into my heart, no longer just a disagreement in my mind. Now there's a tear that takes place in the body of Christ. And then we saw, it. Can, Paul says, if you don't deal with that, it now, will become, it now will become a faction. And that word is schism. And we saw that if you pull on where your division is, that tear begins to tear that sheet completely into two separate pieces. And this is where Satan has been so successful in, in undermining all the authority, power, and witness of the church because he's managed to tear us apart. But he can't do that on his own unless we allow him. We looked in, 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 um, in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul tells you how God, God made us one. It's not like we have to become one. We were made one. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, endeavor to keep the unity. So we don't have to create something that doesn't exist. We have to fight hard to maintain that unity. And because we've been oblivious or haven't really cared or hasn't been that important to us, we haven't done a very good job of maintaining it. Well, today we're going to begin to look at Paul's answer to that. 
Because he goes into chapter 12, and now in chapter 12, Paul deals with the specific things. He dealt in chapter 11 with their communion service. Now he's dealing with really the issues that were separating them, and that was these outward manifestations of the Spirit. So Paul's going to go through, and we're not going to go through that part of it, and Paul's teaching on the different gifts of the Spirit and what their purpose is. But what's behind this is not the gifts of the Spirit. What's behind this is the disunity the separations, because they took gifts from God and used them to separate themselves because each of these gifts were different. So they used their differences that God gave them to benefit the body as a way to, dif- as a way to separate themselves from one another. So we'll begin by going down through, quickly going down through uh, chapter 12, we'll start at verse 4. So he's talking about these are the gifts. He says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God, who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, for to one is given the word of wisdom. He's going to go down through each of these, uh, each of these gifts. So I want to just make some comments about that, and I want to get into the essence of Paul's teaching here. So Paul's talking about, he lists different outward manifestations of these spiritual activities that were, that, that were good, that they were good at, but he's pointing out that they all have one source and one purpose. So he talks about the difference in gifts. So let's go back to verse 4. Chapter 12, here we go. So there are diversities or difference of gifts, but it's the same spirit. So the gifts... Are, it's a word grace, basically. It's the grace that God gave to in different individuals in the church, giftings He's given, for the purpose of serving the body. Verse, okay, verse 5. And there are differences of ministries. That word means servant, serving. So He's saying there's different gifts God's given, different gifts God's given in the body, in a church. And there's different kinds of serving that God's given. We saw yesterday, we saw people that came and they served the body by taking the food over to the, Kevin Dakin who came and has given of his time to go get the foods and help with all the, this is acts of service. You don't see them standing up here, you're not seeing them online, but they are serving in the body and that's what this word means. But it's the same Lord. Verse 6. There are diversities of activities, that means just energies, people doing things. But it's the same God who works all in all. Verse 7. But the manifestations of the Spirit, that's these gifts of the Spirit, is given to each one for the profit of all. For one, now we're not going to go down through all these. So let me just summarize this because I want to get to the main part of what he's talking about here. So, listen to what he's saying. And don't don't go back and show these. In verse 4, he says it's the same Spirit that's the source of these different gifts. In verse 5, he says, it's the same Lord whom these gifts serve. In verse 6, it's the same God who is working through all these gifts. Verse 7, the purpose of these gifts is to benefit all, the whole body. Verse 8, and he gives to each one of them by the same Spirit. So Paul is saying the common thread 
through all these gifts, the common thread through all these different gifts of service, the common thread is there's one God, one Lord, one Spirit, and these are works of Him for His benefit through one body. Paul's trying to pound at them. Although there are differences among you, God created those differences, but they're there for one body, one purpose. He's trying to drive into their consciousness, you are one. And here's what happens on a given Sunday, Wednesday night, online here, and it's happened in not just this church, but I suspect virtually every other church, or most every other church in the United States. So for instance, let's suppose this morning we've got here... 200 people. I haven't counted it, but so as we have 200 people on a Sunday morning here. With all this stuff, that's pretty good. And you have 200 individuals that drive into the crowds, into that parking lot. 200 individuals walk in that back door. 200 individuals say hello to each other. 200 individuals sit here and elicit a message brought by one individual. And then 200 individuals leave here. And we all got blessed because we saw one another. We heard a message that blessed us. It was good to be here. But we came in as individuals and we leave as individuals. Oh, we recognize one another. We're glad to see one another. But down in our hearts, we don't see ourselves as one body. We see ourselves as individuals who belong to Faith Christian Center, individuals who are Christians. But we don't see ourselves as one body. And that's what Paul's going to teach on right now. And Paul is brilliant because he uses, a fa- he uses a physical example that every one of us has lying around the house. He uses a physical example that every one of us has personal, intimate knowledge of. He uses your body. You have one, don't you? You brought it with you today? Oh good, I forgot to tell you to bring your body with you today because you're going to need to use it today. So Paul uses something we all understand more than anything else because we live in it, we spend so much time focused on it, and it's, we operate in it all the time. So Paul's going to talk about this. So let's go down through this. We're going to start in verse 12, 12 through 14. And the, what he's drawing here is he's, he's just emphasizing over there, the, your body has different parts to it. And each of those parts has a different function. And because each part has a different function, each part looks differently, each part is endowed with different abilities, and each part has a different purpose. But in spite of all those differences... It's still one body. So his message is this. We get so focused on our differences because we think our differences are our identity. And because that differences are my identity, then I'm different than you. I may come to the same church, but I'm different than you because I'm of a different generation. I'm of a different color. I'm of a different nationality. And therefore, that's my identity. But that's not how God sees you. And it better not be your identity or you ain't going to heaven. Mm. 
Because the only ones that get into heaven are Christ's body. So if you want to hold on to your individual identity at the cost of your spiritual identity, you're in trouble. And that's what Satan's working hard to do. So this is his purpose. So again, he's using our body, and it's the greatest example you could have because it's so real to us. For as one body, as the body is, is one, is is its identity. But it has many members. Very important difference. It is, we are his body. But we are, we ha- his body has different members, different parts of it. And all the members of that one body, being many, are still one body. That's your body. But also that's true of Christ. So Christ's body has many members online too. But still one body. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Look at this. Now, here's, here's their national identity. Whether you're Jew or Greek, that was the big division in those days. So we could say whether you're black or white, whether you're Republican or Democrat, whether you're American or you're Nigerian or African or European, wherever your background is, you were baptized, you left that as your, as your identity and you were baptized into a new identity, all of us together, who is Christ. Whether slaves or free, you've all been made to drink of or partake of or receive one spirit. For in fact... The body's not one, but it's not one member, but it's many. So it's like he's turning it around now. So it's one body, but it has many members. So although there's many members, it's still one body. Now, he's going to get into this. This, And this is what we do. See, because he's going to use parts of our body. So like we've got the foot. So he's going to say, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I'm not part of the body. So, the, now again, we know feet don't talk, but he's using this as an example, okay? At least. So a foot looks at itself and says, I'm, 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 I've got similarities because i got five toes and you got five fingers. But all the pressure's on me. I bear all this pressure. In fact, if it weren't for me, you wouldn't be here today. Because I'm a foot. And you're not like me. All you can do is point and grab things. So, so the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, because I'm different from you, I'm, am I not part of the body? See, you, you understand that because you know how well your part, fingers, your hands, and your feet work together. They work together because they are one body. So your body is a great example. You're here today because many parts of you worked together to get you here today. And you weren't conscious that they were working together. You weren't conscious that they were different parts because they were 
working as one to get you here. In fact, the only way you become aware of one of them is if they don't function properly to work together with the others. Do you ever, ever, you know, get up from sitting in a position and your foot's asleep and... You're suddenly aware that that foot is a separate part of you because it's not acting as if it were part of your body. It's asleep. Because I'm not an I... If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not like the eye, does that mean I'm not part of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were one eye, now he's going to switch it around. What if, we're, what if the whole body were like you? I, I feel for some churches because most churches in the United States don't look like this. They're all white or all black. I was watching a preacher yesterday. I won't mention his name. And he was talking about how they're trying to get people in the church together. And they're trying to get them connected together in connect groups. So he's saying, what you need to go is go to people, go, go and be with people you like. And I'm thinking about that. That's what we do anyway. But I don't grow when all, I'm just around people that agree with me. I don't grow when I'm just around people that, 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 that look like I do or, or act like I do. For many years, we used to go to a conference at, uh, at Lafayette Scales Church. And his church is a wonderful multinational church, but it's not like this one. He's told us that. And one of the reasons I would go there is because I was in the minority. And it was good for me to go and sit and feel different and then work that through. And that lasted about half an hour. I got to know my brothers and sisters where there were ministers. There was a minister. I got to know them and talk with them. And so the moment I did, it broke through all of that, and we were one body together. So there are things we have to break through because we live in that sense realm so much. But if all you do is hang around with people like you, you don't have to do that. And then it becomes easier to form a separation. Because what I'm doing is I'm giving into my flesh. Because my flesh says I'm not comfortable in that situation. So I'm yielding to my flesh to determine who I am. Instead of forcing myself to relate to people. Because it's only a flesh difference. To relate to people and to listen to people. This is what we're trying to do on those Wednesday nights. Listen to somebody who doesn't see things the same way I do. Because maybe they've experienced something I don't know. I don't know everything. I know that's a shock to some of you. <laughs> but it's never been a shock to my wife. She's known that for years. <laughs> I got to move on. But now God has sent the members, each one of God. Has, God made you the way you are. And He's put you in the body of Christ different from other people because there's a purpose for your difference. If they're all one member, where would the body be? If we were all alike, what could the body do? So Paul was saying earlier, if, if, you're, if we're all an eye, we'll see great. But we can't do anything what we see. We need the differences. 
But instead of the differences being our identity, the differences are a function. It's how God made us. It's our function. And then Paul goes into chapter 13. They're not going to go to the scriptures. Because in this chapter, Paul's taking the, the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul's showing how they've used them to divide themselves when God gave them these gifts to work for the benefit of the body as a whole. Oh, I didn't finish reading. That's why. Let's go. Where were we? Let's go on. Verse 21. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, when we we say, I don't need you, what we're saying is, I don't really understand what the body of Christ is here to do. I know I need you. I may be the one that people see. I may be the one that they see on television, online. I may be the one that stands up here. But I couldn't do this if there weren't people serving in the sound booth. I couldn't, we couldn't be on television if we didn't have Michael Liberty and others behind him working. Mike does a great job of editing and producing that program. This couldn't be gone if somebody didn't come in here earlier, Alan, and turn the heat on. So it takes everybody working together as a body to do His purpose, not our purpose. No, much rather those members of the body which seem weaker are necessary. So we think that, you know, the pastor is going to get the big honors when we get to heaven. I believe those are going to go to the people that pray, people that do things behind the scene nobody ever gets to see or gives them the credit for. Those members of the body which we think are less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and on the unpresentable parts, greater modesty. For our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which it lacks. There there should be no schism, that's the divisions, split in the body, but rather the members should have the same care for one another. Go on. And if one member suffers, then all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, than all members honored. I've used this example so many times, but it's so real. You get up in the middle of the night and not looking where you're going and you stub your toe. What happens? Everything in your body now wakes up to take care of that little toe. Why? Your, 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 your mind doesn't say and your hands don't say and your, the rest of you, I say, look, it's your problem. Boy, you, you know, I know I wasn't paying attention, but I'm sorry, brother, you're hurt. I'm praying for you. No, it's, ah, everything grabs that toe. Your mind's trying to figure out where does the ice. I did that when we were on vacation in Florida, and I I was trying to get the car cooled off. It's hard to imagine today. Cool the car off. And they did, I had all the windows down, so I was getting ready to to get in the car, so I put the windows up, and it was a rental car, so it wasn't familiar with it, and I'm putting the driver's side window up, and I forgot I had my fingers in like this, and it came right up and just start crushed my fingers. I assure you I didn't stand there and say, that was stupid of you to do that. You're going to have to work this out yourself. Now, everything in me went on alert. 
to find ice, get it in, start praying, you know, taking care of myself. I want to read two things, one of which, uh, and these are long, so bear with me, Uh, but it's worth reading because they can say it in terms that are better than I can. Um, And one of these is, the long one's going to be in my notes, the other one I just decided to do so they don't have in my notes. This is part of of an apology written in about 150 AD, so in the second century of the church's birth. It was written by a Greek philosopher, Aristides, and it was, a, it was a speech given to the Roman emperor Hadrian, and he's going through the major religions and teaching him what they were. And the last one he gets through is the Christians. It is the Christians, O emperor, who have sought and found the truth. This is a Greek philosopher. For they acknowledge God, and, and this is how they, he knows that about them. For they do not keep them for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They don't covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbors. They do not, they, they do, they do, do not do to one another what they would wish to have done to themselves. They do to one another which wish to have done for themselves. They speak gently to those who are oppressed, and in this way they make their friends. It has become their passion to do good to their enemies. They live in the awareness of their smallness. Every one of them who has anything to give gives ungrudgingly to one who has nothing. And if they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as a real brother, for they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know they are brothers in the Spirit and in God. And if they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of all his needs, and if possible, they set him free. If anyone among them is poor or comes to want... While they themselves have nothing to spare, they fast for two or three days for him. In this way, they can supply any poor man with the food he needs. This, O emperor, is the rule of life of Christians, and this is their manner of life. What did Jesus say? Father, that they may be one, that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them with this kind of love. I want to close with a long quote from a book. And again, I don't normally would, do, not, would not normally do this. But this impressed me so much when I read this. And, and uh, I've had people ask, when you refer to a book, uh, you know, please give us the book. And I, it's in here. This is a book written by Charles Colson called Loving God. And this is from chapter 21 of it. It's a little lengthy, but you will not be bored. He's using an example of prisoners of war during the Vietnam War. And these are pilots who had flown, flown missions over, over North Vietnam. One of them, this was his last mission after 40 other missions. And he was, his plane failed, and he went down. And when they were captured, they were brutally treated. He talks, goes through some of them, and I'm not going to go through those things. They were, they were tied to wooden stakes. Some of them were in, in, in bamboo uh, crates that were about this wide and laying down with their hands tied behind their back. They were beaten. One of these prisoners came into the camp we're going to start talking about, and his, his, his leg bone was broken and sticking into his groin. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I want you to see the situation they're in. And they're isolated. They isolate them so that they're, they can't talk to one another. They can't see one another. And this is how they responded. I'm going to read down this. And if you want this text... It's in my notes, if you download the notes. So just bear with me, I will read through this. So uh, I picked up in the story. So gradually communications between the prisoners improved. 
So they made up a code based on the Morse code, and that way they communicated with their ears to the walls and their bodies wrapped in blankets if they had them to keep the noise levels down. Notice how urgently they realized they needed to communicate with one another because the enemy had them isolated. Mm-hmm. The alphabet was translated into a 5 by 5 dot matrix in which each letter was represented by the placement of a vertical and horizontal wall taps. So they would tap on different places on the wall and that signified what they were trying to say. Once a prisoner knew the code, he was quote-unquote online. By this network, the men recalled and taught each other scriptures and learned the names and serial numbers of every prisoner in the cell block. They learned who had been transferred, who was being tortured, and in this way they shared each other's pain. And get this, on Sunday morning when the guards gave them a chance, the senior officers at each cell block thumped on the wall five times, alerting the prisoners in solitary as to well of those who had cellmates that it was time to worship. This signal was called the church call. And each man recited to himself the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd or the 100th Psalm. And then they had a time of silent hymns and private prayers because they're being listened to. A new prisoner was stuck in solitary at the end of the building. Each morning he ran in place to keep shape, shaking the entire structure. After the new man was taught the tap code, he began running in an odd and jerky way. And seven men at the other end of the cell block deciphered the jogger's message. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes from. I will lift up my eyes. Wow. How urgently they needed each other and knew they needed each other. This goes down later and he says, after an unsuccessful American rescue attempt on November 21, 1970, the North Vietnamese decided for security reasons to move all the airmen into the outlying camps back at the Hanoi Hilton with other prisoners. To make room for the influx, new cells were partitioned off. Men were moved out of solitary into large open bay-type cells that could could accommodate 40, 50, and 60 prisoners. The new cell block was called Camp Unity. (laughs) Unlike the cells in Heartbreak, which was the other one we read, The cells in Camp Unity had huge, high, barred windows that led in rivers of daylight. Conditions improved somewhat, and occasionally the prisoners were let out for reasons other than interrogation or torture. Sometimes they did chores. Anything was a relief to the boredom. They emptied two-gallon toilet buckets, washed dishes, cleansed the courtyard, and if they bathed or washed their own clothes, they usually had to use sewage to do it. I'm sorry to gross you out. For years, these prisoners asked for a Bible. And not until December of 1970 did they even get one. Then the English-speaking interrogator brought one into cell cell four and the men gathered around. Jeff Powell, and that's not his name, they changed the names, read the Christmas story aloud, then several psalms, then the Sermon on the Mount. The men were not sure how long they would have the Bible or whether they could ever see it again, so James Ray turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and memorized the chapter. The Bible was in the cell for just two hours. On the condition that the prisoners followed an approved format, the North Vietnamese allowed as many as 20 at a time to gather for formal church services. These had to take place out in the courtyard behind bamboo screens, which obstructed their view of the other cells. There they worshipped while the English-speaking interrogator monitored everything they said and did. 
On more than one occasion, the prisoners digressed from the quote-unquote format by reciting scripture that had not been previously approved by the interrogator. When this happened, he pushed his way into the circle, shaking his head furiously, and thrust the men back into their cells. On one Sunday morning, James Ray called the men to order by leading them singing the doxology. He prayed, We thank you, Lord, for your protection and mercy for bringing us together. Eight other men assembled in front of the group and sang, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning my song shall rise to thee. The prisoner's obvious determination to worship, the prisoner's obvious determination to worship caused repeated confrontations with their captors. For example, a guard would hear men singing hymns in their cells and would run for the English-speaking interrogator who would order them, no more political meetings. This isn't political, they would answer. There are too many of you. You cannot hold political meetings. They would say, join us and find out. It's not a political meeting. We will throw you into solitary if you continue. Join us and see. This is not a political meeting. No. And eventually, despite the solitary confinement, despite the solitary confinement, Despite the threats of torture and the harassments, the captives wore down their Vietnamese, permitting, uh, wore down the, their captors, and more freedom was given to those in Camp Unity. In the spring of 1971, the North Vietnamese permitted three prisoners a copy of the Bible for one hour a week. James Ray was one of them. He sat on a wooden chair at a wooden table and began copying the Sermon on the Mount. The guard standing close by watched repeatedly, placing his elbow on the verse he was trying to copy. When the guard moved his elbow, Ray wrote so fast his hand got cramped. When the guard wasn't holding down the elbow on the page, sometimes he would flip up to 15 minutes at a time. He was trying to distract Ray with inane questions. During this five weeks, the program lasted. James Ray managed to copy more than the Sermon on the Mount. Each day when he brought the precious words back to the cell, Ray's cellmates recopied the words in crude fashions as they had devised for other writing on toilet paper rations with brick dust ink, quill pens. They recopied the verses because each week Ray had to return the previous week's copy before he could transcribe more. The verses were also immediately memorized by different prisoners. This one really gets me. Easter Sunday, 1971. Captain Tom Curtis woke up early and studied the notes and verses as he and James Ray had assembled the previous evening. Curtis looked at the room full of sleepy prisoners around him and 28 men, all of them flyers, had now managed to survive. How had they managed to survive in this place? The morning gong sounded just as sunlight struck the western wall of the cell and several of the men limped and stretched painfully while getting up because their old wounds had not yet healed. About 10 o'clock, Curtis stood in front of the drab eastern wall and called the service to order. The men gathered in a semicircle before him. It was Easter Sunday. A quartet sang the old rugged cross, and everyone joined in amazing grace. Curtis recited the version of the Passion of Christ that the men had patched together from some faulty memories. And this is what he quoted. And when they bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate. When they stripped him, they put a crown of thorns on his head, spit on him and hit him, and they said, crucify him. As he listened to these familiar words, Curtis thought of the experiences that they had all shared. They had been bound. They had been chained. They had been spit upon, whipped, lashed to trees and stoned. Then someone handed Curtis several several pieces of bread. 
that had been saved from their previous day's rations. And he took the bread, and when he gave it thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He's quoting this, saying, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This bread was quietly passed and eaten. The, cur- the Curtis repeated the verses about the cup. My blood which is shed for you. These men knew about blood, Curtis thought. Their own blood flowed from their open wounds even today, from lacerations and ruptured eardrums, from torn out fingernails and blood that seeped through every makeshift bandage. And now they thought about Christ's blood shed for them. The cup of carefully saved seaweed soup was passed, and someone quietly hummed Amazing Grace. As Curtis brought the cup to his lips, he began to weep. (sighs) He wondered if they had any right to identify their sufferings with Christ. But wasn't their presence there in this place against all odds a sign of Christ's continuing presence with them? He remembered that Christ had said he would find found his church at the gates of hell would not prevail against it. They were part of that church. A part of the broken body of Christ in every way, yes, but Christ had prevailed. For here they were. Worshipping him in the jungles of a world gone mad. Relying on him. They had nothing less than the privilege of showing the Lord's death, burial, and resurrections. His presence, the church, and what was otherwise a living hell. I'm sorry for the emotion, and I'm sorry if that was difficult to hear, but those are real stories, real people, real men. And in a situation where you have every excuse to say, God's abandoned me, how could things get worse? Instead, they knew they needed God and they knew they needed each other. To me, that removes every excuse. And I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm not picking anybody. You make your own decisions. But we're living in a climate where people allow the fact that to come to church means they've got to wear a piece of cloth over their mouth and over their nose to keep them from fellowshipping together. And these men would have given anything, anything, to be able to openly worship together if all they had to do was to put a mask over their nose and mouth. I'm not condemning people that are home and feel that's the only way to be safe. You've got to make your... I'm just trying to call us to an awareness of what it means to be the body of Christ and how much we need each other. I'm trying to call us to an awareness of what is truly important. These men risked their lives, and, and they're not alone. Today... All over this world, there are people gathering together this morning, not at the risk of getting COVID-19, at the risk of being shot for coming to church. And they come freely and boldly. 
We need to understand the tremendous privilege and grace we have as the body of Christ in the United States to be able to choose to come together, whatever that cost may be. And my concern is because of what's going on, it now becomes an excuse where I can watch, and again, no condemnation, I can watch the service online while I'm still doing other things in the comfort of my home. These men were removed from the comfort of their home and thrown into the most horrible situation they could imagine. But somehow, Christ in them brought them together. Somehow, Christ in them put a will in them to communicate with one another, to connect with one another. And he gave them the ability to do that. And as a result, they overcame their enemy. Notice it wore the enemy down. Their determination to meet wore the enemy down because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church unless we allow Satan to divide us. Endeavor to keep the unity of the body. Let's pray. Father, today many things come against our being one, our ignorance of it, our lack of concern, our selfishness, let alone the issues of life that pull us apart right now. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Your spirit is stronger in us than all these forces in the world. And so we come to you today, my God. We call on you to pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit of unity. Pour out your spirit of love who's been shed abroad in our hearts. Pour out your spirit to break down those dividing walls in our heart and to show us how much we need one another and how much we love one another because your love is in our heart for one another and help us to stay strong against the works of the enemy that would try to divide us. Satan, we put you on notice that your efforts will not succeed here because the spirit of the living God is moving among us and moving in our midst and you will not prevail against the body of Christ in this place. Father, we pray for everyone right now to help us to receive what you have spoken to each of us individually today and collectively as a church. In Jesus' name. Before we close...